Open up in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I've had a difficult time this week trying to figure out exactly what passage to preach. I would, I've been going back and forth between 1 Timothy 4 and 1 Timothy 1. There's so much similarity and so many crossovers between the two chapters, and so we're really going to look at both of them on and off, but we'll mainly be in 1 Timothy chapter 4. As we continue our series of, of healthy church, um, this week we're talking about sound doctrine. What comes to mind when, when you hear those two words together, sound doctrine? When you think of maybe the word just theology, for many people it might swell within you fear. It might swell within you an idea that, oh, oh no, a topic that I don't know a lot about that I'd have to study in order to understand more. Something that's going to require work for me to know, to understand, to apply sound doctrine. It sounds like something that belongs in school. It sounds like something that belongs in a seminary. It sounds like something that belongs in the academic realm, not necessarily for me and for my life. Naturally, that's how many people will react to that, to that phrase, those words, the idea of theology, the idea of sound Doctrine, And so my hope this morning is that we will see together that sound doctrine keeps the church rooted and built up in Jesus Christ. That sound doctrine keeps the church rooted and built up in Jesus Christ. And so let's read 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll begin talking about this idea of sound doctrine. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So as we look at this idea of sound doctrine, I, 
I think you were able to see, just as we read, some things that can happen negatively and some things that can happen positively when we walk in accordance with sound doctrine and when we walk away from sound doctrine and why sound doctrine is so important and why it was so important enough for Paul to spend almost really, it seems, the entire letter of this letter to Timothy, his, his friend, his, his disciple, his brother in the faith, why Paul wrote this letter to Timothy and encouraged him to be careful to pursue what is good and right and sound when it comes to doctrine. And so a few things we'll see as we walk through this text in, in chapter 1 this morning. The first thing we're going to see is that sound doctrine guards the truth. Why is sound doctrine so important? Because sound doctrine guards the truth. If we want to be rooted and built up then in Jesus Christ, we must make sure that we guard our doctrine. So look at verses 1 through 4. Back with me here in chapter 4. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So even just in verse 1, as we begin this chapter and look at this, we see that clearly there needs to be somebody, something that guards the truth, because if not, there are deceitful spirits and teachings of demons that are going around in the world. If they were going around in the first century, right after Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose again, and then Paul was converted, and then he's discipling these other people and going on these missionary journeys, and he's building up young leaders in the church like Timothy, and he's encouraging them, these are the things that you should know, and these are the things that you should then teach. Even then, in the first few years of the early church, there were already, according to what Paul is writing, that some have already departed from the faith because they have devoted themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now, we've talked about being deceived before, but I want us to make sure we see that word because this isn't just something, this isn't just another option. This isn't just another option that's just as good as this other sound option. This is something that our eyes are blinded to, the real truth, and instead we're deceived to think that this other false truth is correct when it really is not, but we're deceived. It's easy to fall into the prey of the devil. We have an adversary who wants to destroy all that is good and right in this world, and he is not alone. He has workers that work for him, and his workers and the spirits that are on his side are deceitful. They deceive us, and so we can be deceived. I mean, our, our hearts, we, we find in Jeremiah 17, even our own hearts initially are deceiving us. Our hearts are wicked, naturally. And so why would we not think that there is still, even after we become Christians, even after we become leaders in the church, that there is an opportunity for us to believe something that is false and something that is wrong. And then, not only to believe it, but then to practice it. And not only to believe it and to practice it, but then to teach that false doctrine to somebody else. And so why must we be careful 
about making sure that we adhere to sound doctrine because if not, then we let our guard down and we let spirits who are deceitful pull people in little by little and say, no, just, just believe this truth. Believe this thing over here. If we do not guard the truth, there are different doctrines that are at play. Look in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. There in 1 Timothy says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. There are different doctrines. There are deceitful spirits and demons. There are liars whose consciences are seared. That's what we find back in chapter 4, verse 2. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So it's not only that people are deceived and that they believe a truth that, for all intents and purposes, they, they really think is true, but it's also lies that people believe knowing that they're lies and not caring about the consequences and saying, I don't care. This is how I want to live. This is what makes me feel good. This is what I want to believe. I don't care if this other truth is really truth. All I care about is making me feel good and making me look good and gaining a following, gaining money, gaining popularity, gaining something in this world. And seeing that is more important than submitting myself to the authority of true and sound doctrine. And so they get to the point where they lie and their consciences are seared. And we've looked at this again before. Because when you lie and you lie and you lie and you know the consequences and, and God disciplines you when you're disciplined, when you're confronted with the truth over and over and over again, God is not opposed to giving you over to your desires. He will let you, at some point in time, however, sooner or later, He will let you continue in your sin after repeated attempts from Him and from His people to bring you back to the truth, to live according to the truth. That's what we saw in Hebrews. We talked about it some even last week. And so we must be ready to guard against all of these things that that Paul is writing about. Look in verse 3. Some of the things that are not sound doctrine, some of the things that people hold to. Verse 3 says, Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods. So there's a couple things. And verse 7, he talks about have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says different doctrine. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says myths and endless genealogies. In chapter 4, in chapter 1, excuse me, in verse 4 again, he says speculations. In chapter 1, verse 6, he calls it vain discussions. There are many ways and many descriptors that Paul uses to say there are so many avenues through which we can go down that is not that are not sound doctrine, that do not conform to what God has given to us clearly through His 
Spirit in His Word through the life and person and work of Jesus Christ. There are a million ways to go wrong, but there is only one way to go right. And so we have to guard the truth. Otherwise, we open ourselves up to the floodgates of an enemy and of doctrines that lead people astray and that lead people straight to hell that don't offer true peace, that don't offer in this life true joy. So we must be careful to guard the truth, but not just sort of that, even that passive or active or or guarding from the negative. We also need to be looking at the positive side of it. In chapter 1, verse 4, Paul uses the phrase, the stewardship from God that is by faith. And so sound doctrine not only is meant to guard the truth, but sound doctrine promotes good stewardship. Sound doctrine promotes good stewardship. Let's read in our chapter 4 text, verses 6 through 16 again, just to get another picture of this. It says, If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive Because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do you see again as we read that again, and I know we're reading several verses here, but do you see in there evidences of being a good steward? Look back at verse 6, says, You will be a good servant. What is a steward but simply a servant of a master who has been given something to watch over? He has been given charge of something. Something has been put into his custody that he is supposed to make sure and keep whole, to keep together, to grow and to flourish it until the master takes it from him. Until he has finished his race, and he, until he is done with the course that God has set before him. Paul tells Timothy to teach these things. Verse 11, command and teach these things. He tells him to train yourself. He says, set an example. There in verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. 
An example in what? Speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. It says earlier, words of the faith, good doctrine. These are the things that we must be careful to guard and to be good stewards of. Being trained, verse 6 there in chapter 4, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So maybe what are some of the good words of the faith? At the end of chapter 3, we see that Paul gives a little mystery, but, but some truth that we would recognize. There, starting in verses 14, verses 14 through 16. Of chapter 3, Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Maybe these are some of the words of faith. That, that, that seems like a, a very simple acknowledgement, account of Jesus Christ. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Doesn't that sound like what happened in Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection? Maybe those are some of the words of faith that Paul's referencing. What's some of the good doctrine that maybe he's referencing? Here's this word for you, because I just have to say it, right? Systematic theology. I already said theology, but systematic theology is really what the idea of sound doctrine is. It is putting together the pieces and parts that we find in Scripture, putting them all together on certain topics and saying this is what we can know about God from all of His Word and all of what He has given to us through His Word and through creation. This is how we can know God. This is, these are the truths that we can assimilate, put together, and know for certain who God is. You see, if we really believe that God knows all, if He is overall, if He is everywhere, if He is beyond our comprehension, that it, don't you think that it would take many times over for Him to describe who He is so that we in ways can at least begin to understand who He is? So He doesn't just give us one encounter of who He is and what He's done in His Word, but over and over and over again, He tells us how throughout history he has worked in particular ways through particular means and particular people for a particular purpose. Um, in systematic theology, you know, you can get really thick books that are titled Systematic Theology, and I can recommend several to you. But there are also some, some more simple introductory books. Um, I've, I've referenced this. I've quoted from it a few times um, this year, but this is called The Christian Life by Sinclair Ferguson. I would encourage you 
to get a copy if you don't already have one. But it is a good introduction to a lot of the topics and ideas of what you would find in a systematic theology type book where you are looking at the different doctrines of who God is, the doctrine of who is Jesus Christ, the doctrine of who is the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of what is the church, doctrine of, well, who are angels? Well, you know, well, what about demons? The doctrine of end times, what's going to happen at the end? There there are ways in which these truths are put together so that we can understand them, so that we can then guard them and be good stewards of them. And one way that we have to be a good steward is not just to know all of these things. I've mentioned it a bit in some things I've already said, and hopefully you've seen it in our text that we've read, but I want to make it explicitly clear that looking back there, as we've been talking about words of the faith and good doctrine, look there at the end of verse 6 of chapter 4, and notice what he says. I'll just read all of verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. This means that there is action associated with the knowledge that Timothy has. There is action that is expected in the truths that we believe. Knowledge leads to action. Knowledge leads to godliness. But knowledge does not automatically lead to holiness. It doesn't, just because you know something doesn't mean all of a sudden now you are more holy. If that doesn't actually impact your heart and then impact your your words and your thoughts and your actions, it is meaningless. Just knowing something doesn't do anybody any good. It can actually make it more dangerous. You can know a lot of good things, but if you're not living that way, if you're not following down the path that those truths lead you to, that's where you become like the Pharisees. That's where you become a hypocrite. That's where you become one with the the truth that many of us have heard You are what you believe. Well, I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying you got to follow that up with something else. Because if you don't know what it is that you believe, how can you act upon it? And so we need knowledge. And that's a point of what we're talking about this morning. But if all we do is leave it at the fact of having absorbed, having gained knowledge, without putting it into practice, we've missed the point. And so don't just think of systematic theology or theology or sound doctrine as some truths that we have to sit in a classroom or sit in a pew or sit in a, behind a table or in a chair and hear someone spout out. It's not a test we have to take and say, you know, who is God and A, B, C, or D? What is sin? What's the Greek word for this? What's the idea behind that? We have to to apply it to our lives. This doctrine means something. 
it should affect everything about us. In, in the book Sound Doctrine by Bobby Jameson, he references this idea. He says, But sound doctrine gives us a cohesive, all-encompassing way of looking at the world. When we grasp this, the Bible is no longer merely a book of wisdom for specifically religious needs, but the lens through which we make sense of everything in our lives. These aren't just facts to know, but this is a worldview, a lens through which we then interact with the world around us. It impacts how we speak to people. It impacts how we trust God in moments of adversity and in moments of joy. Does the end of the matter fall on me or does it fall on bringing glory to the creator of the universe? We celebrated several weeks ago, joining with one another. And, and, and I read aloud together on the Sunday morning our, our statement of faith. And there are copies available over there at the Connect table. But some of the things that we say, some of the truths, some of the words that are included in our statement of faith, even though our statement is pretty simplistic, even though our statement isn't very long, there are still words and truths in here that we need to make sure that we encourage one another to continue to learn and to study and to submit ourselves to. A few examples. The first point of what we believe in our statement of faith. The scriptures are true, authoritative. That means there's an authority that God's word has upon us that we are then supposed to live according to. These aren't just words of wisdom, but these are words that we are meant to obey. Further on, halfway down, it says, Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, was born of a virgin, and is both fully God and fully human. We can look at church history and see how, how people being led astray when they didn't guard themselves, when they were deceived by the teachings of this world and by the teachings of liars and demons when they went away from acknowledging that Jesus was fully God and that Jesus was fully human. And we can look at church history and we can look back and see how dangerous believing something other than sound doctrine is. And there are people now in America, all around us in Southwest Virginia, who do not believe that Jesus was fully God and that Jesus was fully human. And they are probably meeting in a church not far from here. And then maybe they believe that Jesus was fully God, but they don't believe he was fully human. Or maybe they believe that he was fully human, but that he wasn't really God, and that he was just an example for us to follow. Maybe they don't really believe in that next point, that Jesus Christ died as my substitute. Maybe they just believe that Jesus Christ died as an example for us, as as a nice gesture They don't believe that he died in my place, that he came to this earth to live the life that I couldn't live, and that he died the death that I deserved. He put himself in my place, and he bore 
the wrath of God that was due to me because I was, by birth and action, a sinner. And to show that he took all of that on himself and that he overpowered that sin and that penalty of death, he was raised from the dead to show that he really did accomplish what he set out to accomplish. And that that means something for me and for you. That now he is able to offer us life because he is living. The life that he lived now can be put on my account and I can experience true life and joy, but only but only by trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. There's no other way that I can experience true peace, true life, true joy. And one of the last things I I want us to see as we look at this idea of sound doctrine this morning is sound doctrine guards the truth and sound doctrine promotes good stewardship. But sound doctrine is not just for pastors. I I hope you've already caught that glimpse. Sound doctrine is for regular people. We're reading Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God this month as our book of the month. When you think of the idea of evangelism, some of the immediate thoughts that many of us have usually will include, I don't know if I can answer all of the questions or objections that someone might have if I start sharing the gospel with them. I don't know if if I can relay to them the truths of God's word well. I don't know if I can explain it as well as it needs to be explained. And so sometimes when we think of the idea of evangelism, we're scared, we're put off. We think, I'm not ready yet. And let me just be honest with you. I still have some of those thoughts. Those are some of the excuses that still come up for me. And I've, I've been to seminary. Like, I've, I've, I've taken many, many classes. And, and, and I've preached many, many sermons. And I've read many, many books. But it's still an a readily available excuse for me when I think about the idea of evangelism. Am I going to be able to answer all of the questions or objections that someone might have when I share with them the truth of who Jesus Christ is, the truth of who they are, and the truth of what Jesus Christ has offered to them? And so when when we roll that into the idea of sound doctrine, we have to realize that we must, if we're going to be good stewards, if we're going to be able to guard the truth, we have to learn what the truth is. We have to study. But not so that I can get to a point where now I feel comfortable and confident sharing the gospel, but so that I can learn more about the God who loved me and gave himself up for me, so that I can learn more about how to love people well, the way that Christ loved me, so that I can learn to show grace to people who don't deserve grace, because I didn't deserve grace, but God still showed it to me. 
And so as I look at these doctrines, as I look at what God has clearly given to us in His Word, as, as I put it all and piece it together and try to make it packaged all nice and neat, I have to realize, we must realize that this is for all of us because the work of the ministry is for all of us. And it's difficult to be a minister and it's easy to use an excuse if we never submit ourselves to learning what it is that God has given to us in His Word. It is always going to be available to you an excuse as to why not to do this particular thing. Why not to be obedient in this area? Why not to feel confident doing this thing for God? We are always going to have those excuses. And one of the things that is always going to keep you down and elevate and continue to elevate an excuse of not knowing enough, of not being confident enough, of not being ready enough, is by never actually studying God's Word is by never actually studying sound doctrine. And that's why we're talking about it this morning. That's why Paul spent half his letter, if not his entire letter, and even the next letter to Timothy, trying to encourage him and tell him how dangerous it is, this world, and the teachings that people have coming at them from all angles. And how important it is that a pastor guards the truth but how important it is that not just the pastor guards the truth, but that he teaches it, that he commands people to know what the truth is, not just so that they can know it, but so that they can then live according to it and be ready then to teach others. And so this morning, we have an opportunity to be confronted with whether or not we have been, whether or not we are currently ready to submit ourselves to learn God through His Word, to say, yes, I, I want to know God more. I want to know His Word more. I, I want to know the doctrines of the faith more. I, I want to be able to guard the truth. I want to be able to be one who says, no, what, what you said right there, that, that's not true. Don't believe that. So that when I'm talking with a brother or sister in Christ and I hear something come out of their mouth where they're not filled with hope in this life and for the life to come, I can say, no, you do have hope. I know it's difficult, but you can... You can get through these times. This week, I had a friend who died. And he wasn't much older than me. And one of the things that makes it, one of the only things that makes it decent, that makes it okay, is the fact that I know that I'm going to be able to see him again because he had the same hope that I have. 
that we trusted in Christ and that we will be raised to eternal life with God forever. And so that truth of knowing that there is hope, that godliness is not just for this life like bodily training is, but godliness provides us something that is worthwhile both both now and in the life to come. I can live and I can know and I can remind my heart to believe that what I know in my head can impact how I view this situation. And so my hope is not a wasted, a a golly gee, you know, I wish something good would happen. It is a sure and confident expectation because I know God's word and I know God and I know what he said and I know that he is faithful and that he is true to his promises. And so I know that my friend is in a better situation than he was on this earth. And I know that I can trust that his promises are also true for me because I've submitted myself to him. I've studied them. I've looked at his word. I've prayed and And I know that he's faithful. And so I pray that we as a church, that we as brothers and sisters in Christ, would not be afraid to say, I don't know, but I want to learn. That we would not be afraid to say, I am scared of evangelism. I am scared of, of sitting across from somebody and and having a conversation that I haven't had before. I am afraid of of bringing up this topic of God with my coworker. But that we wouldn't just leave it there, but that we would say, I want to know more so that I can put it into practice so that my heart, so that my heart can change, so that my actions can change, and so that I can have a confidence that I didn't have before. And so that I can do away with some of the excuses that I tend to have when it comes to living this life in the way that God has designed it for us as His children, as His people, as His church. And so, God, we pray that You would, that you would help us to see if there are any ways in us that are wrong. God, we acknowledge that we are that we are not perfect as you are perfect, that we are not completely holy like you are holy, but that we are works in progress. And so we acknowledge the fact that we can be deceived and that we can think wrong things. And so, God, would you lead us to your truth? Would you open our eyes to see the things that are true? 
Would you open our ears to hear the truth of your word? Would you open Would you open our hearts to receive your word every day, not, not just on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week? God, in us, would you find faithful servants, faithful stewards who guard the truth, who encourage one another, who admonish one another, who entreat one another, who spur each other on toward love and good deeds. In all these things, we don't want to be a people who say, look at us because we know what's right, but we want to be a people whose aim is love, whose aim is speaking the truth in love, whose aim is knowing you rightly, God, so that we can live rightly before you all the days of our life, so that we can honor you. God, I pray that that would be our constant focus. And that at the end of our lives, people would be able to look back and say, he did run the race. He did finish the course that God had set before him, before her. That that we would be faithful. God, we need you to keep us faithful. We need you. And so would you help us? We pray in Jesus' name.